Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I have a few super important things to tell you about this week, so listen up. So first of all, I am super excited to tell you that I will be doing a live webinar entitled, Should You Stay in Your Marriage for Your Kids? Three Truths Revealed. I'm really excited about this webinar because I get to go really deep into what I think can be the biggest roadblock to so many in being able to make this decision. As you know, I actually left my marriage for my son to give him the chance at a better life, but I didn't do a ton of research around whether or not that was the best choice. I just intuitively knew I had to go. Well, now that I do what I do, I've of course done a ton of research and spoken with countless experts, and I have a lot to say on this subject. So I'm doing a webinar about it. And I will be doing the live training twice, once on February 6th, that's a Wednesday, at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and then I'm going to do it again on the 7th, the very next day, at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. So I'm giving you a couple of time frames in there in case, you know, just to try and cover people's availability. It runs about an hour, so you want to make sure that you block off that much time. I hate getting on webinars where people don't tell you how long it's going to be in your life. Like, well, how long am I supposed to be here? So you really don't want to miss this training. It is super in-depth, and I cover way more than the title suggests. So you're going to find the registration link in the show notes. Um, so head on over there and get yourself registered. So to today's episode, I have with me today Isabel Foxen Duke. Uh, I think I shared a teeny bit about my struggles with compulsive dieting here on the podcast, but if not, there's a link to a blog post that I wrote about it in the show notes. And of course, I've done two episodes on my dear friend, Andrea Owens podcast about this subject. And those are linked in that blog post and also in the footer of my website. So when I was struggling really badly, I scoured the internet for people I could learn from, people who could help me unlearn so many of the mindsets and habits that I'd been brainwashed with since I was a little girl. And Isabel was one of the first people I came across who just gave me a giant sigh of relief. Um, She has a free training called Stop Fighting Food, and it was so eye-opening and so healing. And so I highly recommend that to anyone who feels even slightly crazy around food and dieting. And that is linked in the show notes too. So here's the thing. One of the things that was really clear to me when I gave up dieting was that I, had I still been married, my healing would not have been supported and it probably wouldn't have been possible. Fortunately for me, when I went through it, I was dating a man who was so unbelievably, unconditionally loving and supportive And he told me every single day that he didn't give a shit if I gained weight through my healing process. He just wanted me to be healthy and happy. And he loved me for who I was, not whether I was skinny or, you know, whatever. 
So I am forever grateful for his support because I wouldn't have been able to do it without that. Uh, And it was definitely a stark contrast to what so many women go through and what I know I would have gone through in my marriage. Um, Isabel and I talk about that later in the episode, so be sure to listen all the way through to the end. Isabel Fox and Duke. She is the creator of Stop Fighting Food, a free video training program for women who want to stop feeling crazy around food. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating, binge eating, and chronic weight cycling through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all, not just by shifting the mindset of individuals, but by challenging the dominant diet culture as a whole. Her writing and free guide, How to Not Eat Cake, can be found at isabelfoxandduke.com, and you can watch her free video training series at stopfightingfood.com. So without further ado, here is Isabel Fox and Duke. Isabel Fox and Duke, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it ever since we spoke on the phone a couple weeks and like bonded over both being from New York and just overall just getting along. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to have you here because I'm, you know, have to admit to being a little bit of a fangirl. So <laughs> as you know, I have struggled through a lot of the stuff that, that you are so brilliant at working with women on. And so one of the first things that I did actually was sign up for your free training. Mm. And so we'll get into that a little bit more. So first, just tell us how, what you do and how you came to do the work that you do. Okay. So my like tagline or whatever is, um, I help women stop feeling crazy around food. Um, and that's been, you know, my tagline since the beginning of my, you know, business or whatever, eight years ago, because it just resonates. It certainly, I mean, it resonates with different people and it certainly resonated with me. That's how I felt. Like that's how I felt. Hundred percent. I and and I will tell you that I still feel crazy around food. So, I'm, oh gosh. Okay. Oh well. Let's talk about it. Um, I, I'm going to try to not have this be a coaching session. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah. Well, okay. We'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I mean, that's how I felt for years and years and years. I, you know, mm-hmm. anyone who knows my story already knows that I was put on my first diet at a very young age by my pediatrician at the time because I was, you know, basically a chubby baby. I was high on the baby. BMI scale. And from that point forward, which, you know, again, I was three years old. I don't even remember this from that point forward. Diet. Wait, stop. You Mm -hmm. were on a diet when you were three. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was literally, I was like, I don't know. I I guess I was in like the 95th. I was in some like high percentile for weight relative to my height. And Mm -hmm. my doc, my pediatrician who I guess, well-meaning, I don't know. I mean, I've had, I had a decade long history of just like horribleness with her as, as it relates to diet culture. But she, you know, told my parents like, well, like you better be careful about her weight. You know, like she's kind of chubby. want to make sure she doesn't, you know, become a fat person. Yeah. And so that was the message that both my parents got. Both my parents are dieters and have a history of dieting. And, you know, like most people are just like, you know, they were certainly at that point, like invested in diet culture and like, didn't, I think like, again, most people in our culture were like, they heard that from this medical authority and were like, yeah, I guess we do have to be careful about her weight. Like, let's make sure she doesn't get that. Right. And so my mom jokingly, my mom put me on what she jokingly refers to as the broccoli and skim milk diet when I was a kid. So it was like a very like low carb, 
low carb, low fat, like lean meat, all the things, right? Like all of the things as a kid, as a kid. So, you know, I had like super controlled food as a child, you know, it was very young from the beginning of time, basically as far back as I can remember. And my experience of that as a kid you know, were a couple things. Number one, I very, very, you know, I don't remember a time that I thought my body was okay. Like I, from as young of an age as I can remember, thought that I was too fat. I was not, my body wasn't okay the way it was. And my, you know, ultimate, like the thing that I needed to be conscious of my like cross to bear as a human was controlling my food and controlling my weight and making sure you know, that I did everything in my power to control my weight as much as possible. Um, But then on the flip side of that, right, was this feeling like there must be something wrong with me that Mm -hmm. I can't successfully do that, right? I was always a little bit bigger than, you know, like I was always like a little bit bigger than like my other, you know, cute, like little private school girlfriends from New York and blah. And I always like, (laughs) yeah, right. And I always felt, yeah, I just always felt like not quite good enough. And I always felt like there must be something deeply wrong with me that I can't, you know, I can't seem to get a handle on this. And, and one of the ways that, that manifested was, you know, so I'm ha- my food's like have, being heavily controlled. Not only is it being controlled by my parents, but as I got older, I'm obviously trying to control it myself. In fact, you know, I got more and more disordered in the restrictive behaviors as I got older. And as I had more control and authority over what I ate, I was trying to restrict more and more heavily as time went went on. But on the same, on the flip side, right? And I think this is most people, I now know this is most people's experience. On the flip side, I was like, you know, spent most of my time like sitting on my hands, trying not to eat the food. Like I wanted it so badly. And I was like, I was like, if I don't actively sit on my hands, trying not to eat the Halloween candy, like I'm just going to eat Halloween candy until I explode. Like, do you know, like that was the big feeling, right? I had, you know, this insatiable appetite. I had, you know, if I didn't actively rigidly control my every move, you know, it would just be like, in my mind, like Armageddon with food, like it would just be like eating and eating and eating like Violet Beauregard from Willa Wonka or like she does not eating it. But like, you know, like I would just I would just like literally right. slowly just like, blow, like, quote unquote, blow up like, like the blueberry in the movie, you know, until right. I right. and like, that was this, that was my experience of myself was like, you have a big appetite, like you have an unusually large appetite, you're insatiable, like you have, right, yeah, like later I developed language around binge eating and food addict and all these kinds of things that made me feel like, oh, they're they're real, there's something wrong with me, I'm not like other people, I need to constantly exert willpower and constantly exert whatever mental tricks, later it became like therapy and like whatever mental tricks I could get my hands on, to try to not eat because without me putting my all my effort into dieting, I would just like eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and eat forever. And and I, my belief around that, you know, came from what I consider to be evidence, right? Which is like every time I break my diet, I like fall off the handle, right? So it was these extreme right. oscillations between don't yeah. eat, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat that, eat at that amount, don't eat that way, blah, 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 right? And then extreme oscillations into basically binge eating behaviors where you're like, oh, I can't hold back anymore. And, blah, and you're like rummaging right. through the cabinets, like eating yeah. condiments out of the jar, you know, whatever. And so I, right. I always talk about, I always talk about being, I was either on the wagon or like way the fuck off of it. Yeah. 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 Like classic diet binge cycling again, like now it's like the, we have new language, right. But 
classic diet binge cycling, right? Like you're either on or you're off. Like you're either like hanging on for dear life, you know, trying not to slip or you're like, screw it. I'm already off. I'm just going to like let go. Right. And then, and then, and then basically prep for to diet starts tomorrow, right? Like just like might as well get it all in now. And then diet day one starts tomorrow. Yeah, the night before starting a new diet, right? It is right. all, it's the like things off. Yeah, totally. Yes. The worst binges yep. happen the night before, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, so this was, you know, I, I, again, I didn't, I don't know how much, how conscious I was about like, do other people experience this? Is this a thing? I don't know. But I remember at some point, you know, I mean, this was my life, my whole life. I was just engaging yeah. in this kind of disordered eating behavior of like restrict, 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 and then, then like, you know, binging, falling off the wagon, hating myself, incredible amounts of shame, just like wondering what the hell was wrong with me that I couldn't eat like normal people. Yes. You know? And then back and forth, back and forth all the way through high school. And then I remember like at the end of high school, I was in Barnes and Noble in like the nutrition and health section, which was like my like sanctuary in high school, my like little disordered eating sanctuary. Now it's just called mm. the internet. But back then it was the health and nutrition section of Barnes and Noble. And, and I, and I came across some book called like, you know, about, it was like called like overcoming compulsive eating or overcoming overeating or something like that. And that's where I started to develop language. Like, oh, this is your problem. Like you do have something wrong with you. You are pathologically different than other people. And you really, really need to do something to get your food under control. Cause you're a quote binge eater, right? Like this is your issue. Like you're an emotional eater. You're a binge eater. You're a compulsive overeater. Like this is why you're not thin and unicorn and rainbows aren't popping out of the sky and you need to do whatever the hell you can do to get over your quote binge eating problem right now. Yeah. And so then I, uh, you know, lots of different things happen. I mean, I had a period where I was so desperate to become thin in college after like, you know, struggling, you know, just so much hating myself in high school that I like actually was using drugs and stimulants and diet pills and like, you know, whatever I could. Um, lo and behold, like cut to the chase of the story, ended up in treatment, in eating disorder treatment for binge eating disorder. I think I was mm-hmm. actually, if I'm really being honest, when I look back on it, like I was in treatment for eating disorder. But in my head, I was in treatment for binge eating disorder specifically. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not anorexic. Restriction isn't my problem. My problem is that I can't control right. myself around food. And I have the opposite problem of all of these other people that I'm in treatment with, and I need a different prescription. Mm. And like, no one really explained to me. I mean, people would say things like, no, 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 no. It's the same like issue. It's the same core disease. But no one actually really explained to me like the physics of why and why right. binge eating and restriction are kind of, and all of these things. That I didn't learn until later. So, you know, left treatment. I was in inpatient treatment, left treatment. And basically, you know, the program that I did was kind of, it was like a dual diagnostic for like drug abuse and, you know, various different other mental illnesses. They treated lots of different stuff there. And, you know, the, the recommendation sort of, I mean, sort of like the, I don't even know how specific it was, but basically the recommendation was to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings and go to fellowship meetings. Um, for food, for food, right? For food issues. And that was when things got even more out of control for me because the, it was, you know, I was, it's restrictive. It's super restrictive. I was restricting like crazy. It felt like I was doing the clinically right thing for myself to restrict like crazy. It was, you know, I was so bought in to 
like not only do you need to you know get a hold of yourself you know get get control over your food to be thin but you need to get control of your food to not be a crazy person right? like that was you know, right. it was like I was patho- I really pathologized myself quite a bit in OA. And I was like, hi, I'm Isabel Fox and Duke, and I'm a food addict, right? Like that was, and I was so, so invested in that narrative. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, like I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, some people just buckle the F down and just full on effectively yep. develop restrictive eating disorders in OA where they're just like, I'm just going to starve myself and this is just what I'm doing. Most people, that's not their experience. I think most people don't get abstinent. And I was not one of those people who got abstinent. I couldn't string more than 30 days together being on any meal plan that I attempted in a way um, because I would just like, and I was in and out of those rooms for years doing like, you know, getting on my knees, praying to dear God, which was effectively, you know, the, the suggestion to not, to not binge, to not go off my meal plan. Like, please, 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 please God. I mean, it was, it was aggressive. Like it was really intense. Um, and had some of the worst binges in my entire life in a way. And I remember like at some point I was really struggling and somebody else in a way, actually a friend of mine in a way kind of like tapped me. She kind of like nudged me with her elbow, like, you know, like, you know, as if she's like sneaking me cigarettes in jail or something. And was like, (laughs) and was like, she was like, she was like, Hey, um, I read this book. Like you should check it out. It's called Overcoming Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. And it was a Janine, it was a Janine Roth book and Janine Roth is, you know, again, problematic, not the end-all be-all by any stretch of the imagination. I actually don't recommend her work at this point in my career at all. However, she yeah. she was my first introduction to the basic core tenets of quote-unquote intuitive eating, yeah. hunger attunement, listening to your body, like realizing that if you don't feed yourself when you're hungry, like, like it's not going to work out for you. Like one way or another, you're either going to like starve and suffer health consequences or more likely you're going to binge your face off, you know, like those kinds of things. Yeah. Like kind of discovered Janine Roth was like, Oh my God, you know, screw away. Like this is the answer like gave everything to intuitive eating and like really attempted that in a few different ways, not just through Janine Roth, but like I was in like a Christian intuitive eating program at one point. Like I was doing everything to do intuitive eating right and, and really learn how to only (laughs) eat. Yeah. Really learn how to only eat when I was hungry. Yeah. (laughs) It's so insidious and fucked up. It's just... No, I know. I know. It's insane. And I was like, I'm going to only eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to stop when I'm full. And this is the answer. And I'm going to be thin and everyone's going to love me and I'm going to be popular and unicorns and rainbows are going to pop out the sky and like every man's going to want to marry me and blah, 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 right? And so this was, this became the new diet, really. Um, but it became like, in my mind at the time, it was like, oh, this is the new like salvation. This is what's going to save me. And, you know, ultimately I ended up continuing to binge, obviously. I mean, I was wildly underestimating my hunger because hunger meant like a growl in my stomach and like all sorts of weird, or I would perceive myself to be failing, or I would perceive myself to have, having eaten emotionally, or I'd want to, you know, eat something when I didn't think that I was hungry. And then I'd be like off the wagon, all these different things happened where I was like having the same experiences, even in my early attempts at quote intuitive eating, 
largely because I was treating right. of eating like a new meal plan to make me thin. The end of the story is like, I had, you know, worst binge in my life in OA. I was like, I can't do this. Like this one, this one's over for me. Like I just, I'm done with OA. I, I had been previously just oscillating back and forth between these two things and, you know, the, into the hunger and fullness diet, as I now call it. And, and, you know, being on a strict meal plan in OA, I was like, okay, I'm done, done, can't do OA anymore. Like this shit is just miserable and like not fucking working. And then moved into, you know, my last real attempt. This was when I did the Christian intuitive eating program. I like, oh, this is my last final attempt. I'm going to really get it this time. This is my last chance for salvation and having another worst binge of my life. And I was just like, I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, I just can't, I just can't control my food. Like I just can't. I cannot control my size. Like I cannot make my food. I'm just done. Like I don't have it in me. I don't know if other people can. I don't give a shit if other people can. I can't. Like Mm -hmm. I am not a person who can diet successfully. I am not a person who can control what they put in their mouth at all times and like rigorously eat how they're quote supposed to. I just can't fucking do it. And I don't, and like, I just don't have the energy to give a shit about this anymore. I cannot give my life over to try to make my body look a certain way. I just can't do it. It's not working for me. It makes me miserable. I end up having these inevitably, no matter what I do, no matter how I try to control, I end up swinging in the other direction. And that's sort of where one of, you know, my kind of like classic blog posts, like if, you know, you're on a wagon, get ready to fall off of it kind of comes from. Yeah. And, and I was just like, I'm done. Like, I'm just done trying. And like, if I gain weight, I gain weight. Like the, the pain of trying to control my weight and failing and trying to control my weight and failing and trying to control my weight and failing, that pain became so much greater and more intense than my fear of weight gain and my fear of just being like, this is it. I'm like, oh, well. Yeah. And I just really actually let go, like, not like, oh, I'm letting go tonight and I'm going to hoard all the food and day one starts tomorrow. Like, actually, like, I just, I just don't care anymore. Like, I'm just going to eat what I want and just move on with my life. And like, if that means I gain weight, that's what it means. And I just, I don't care. I, I, I'm, I'm so done that my fear of weight gain has literally been overcome by the pain that I'm in right now by this struggle and by constantly trying to become thinner all the time and having my life evolve around that. Um, yeah. So that's sort of, I mean, then there's like, then it like all gets, the story gets really good after that. Um, (laughs) but that was sort of my, you know, I call it like my final surrender moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, from that point forward, it was like, you know, food just kind of lost a lot of power over me. Like I actually did get a life outside of food and that doesn't mean I eat perfectly. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that like food is just not the center of my universe anymore. Like I just don't really give a shit. Like if I have a day where I eat really like what dieters would consider messy or sloppy, like I don't fucking care. Whereas like if I had, and then like other days I'll randomly like literally forget about breakfast because like I'm just in, I'm just thinking about other shit. Like I'm just engrossed in my life. Like I don't, food is not the ticker tape in the back of my mind all day long anymore. You know, like I'm just, you know, and that's where it kind of was like, oh, this is what's normal. Like what's normal is not, you know, binging or not binging, right? What's normal is having a life outside of food. Like what's normal is like your, what you eat does not dictate your self-esteem. Like, you know, like, um, 
And so that was, and that was really the basis of my blog. And then, you know, started writing, doing more work, discovered lots of people in the body positive movement, discovered the fat positive, fat acceptance movements, discovered health at every size, discovered all sorts of stuff. As I was writing about this experience and the, and the emotional surrender needed to actually recover um, I also kind of along the way got introduced to all these people who were kind of doing not exactly the same work, but like very similar and supportive work that really helped me in my own coaching career, my own writing career. And, you know, also like just, the, you know, the, a lot of body positive, this was eight, seven or eight years ago. So like b- the body positivity movement was not mm-hmm. nearly what it is today. And so there right. was a lot of like collaboration between me at the time who was, you know, I was a health coach a thin, relatively normatively thin health coach, which at the time there were no norm, you know, very, I don't, I'm not aware. Let's put it that way. I'm not aware of any normatively thin health coaches at that time who were selling intuitive eating for anything other than weight loss. Right. And yeah. And it was like, let's go, like, let's get this message out to like a larger population of people. And that's, you know, that's, that's how I got started in doing what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So, so how do you teach that? Right. Cause you know, you had the experience of bottoming out and then coming to this sort of epiphany, this realization, right. That was really Mm -hmm. organic to you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I sort of had a similar bottom where I knew that I could no longer, I couldn't go on another diet. Like I had, you know, hit my quote goal weight and I knew what it took to get there. And it was after doing a Bowflex infomercial and having oh. my calories so incredibly restricted that I stopped my periods and got developed eczema. But man, I looked mm. fucking good oh. you know, and had like personal training every day and all of that and was like, you know, given food at a very restricted rate for 10 weeks and looked fucking great. And I mm. was fucking thrilled. And then over the course of a year, of course, my body reacted to, you know, as it does to starvation where it starts to like store shit. Mm -hmm. And I started gaining weight and I, I was on a beach in Mexico. And for me, it's not, the obsession is less with food than it is about uh, the, at that time was less with food and more about other women's bodies and comparing oh. my body constantly to other women. And that mm. I, my entire self-worth was dictated by how I measured up to other women's bodies around me. Mm-hmm. And so I bought, again, I bottomed out fairly naturally. Like I suddenly, here's the thing. I was always dieting. I was always on a diet. I always thought that in, you know, this was, this was my life. This is the way I was raised. My mother was always on some diet. I was always, I was not put on diets when I was younger. I was actually extremely underweight for a variety of other reasons with that are all connected by the way. But when I, but when I bottomed out, it was so organic. Like I had all these thought processes. I remember talking to a friend of mine who had just gone into inpatient treatment and she was talking about her twisted thinking around food and diet and stuff. And I said, oh, hold it. Wait a minute. That's not normal. Uh, yeah. she was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not normal. And that was the moment for me. Mm. And it was like three or four months later that I sat on the beach in Mexico and watched all these other women. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, mm. like, I can't mm-hmm. go on another diet because I know it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But how do you teach women when they hit that place? Obviously they're hitting some kind of bottom when mm-hmm. they get to you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then how do you teach them? How do you shift? How do you help them shift their mindset? I think bottoms in this particular situation are really such a gift, right? Like, I mean, in that moment, like the way I talk about like my bottom is like in that moment, like I, to use woo-woo language, mm-hmm. I think I've already used this word in this interview, but like I surrendered, right? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? like I actually was just like, okay, food, okay, body, okay. Like you win. Like I'm going to step out the way my will, my opinion in this just doesn't matter because like you're in charge, like nature is in charge. I'm not in charge. And I will like really like saw that in that moment and was like, okay, I like, there's nothing I can do here. Like I got to step out of the way. I don't have another choice. Like if I try to fight this, I'm going to lose and it's going to be a bloody fucking battle. You know, it is not going to be cute. It is not going to be good for me. I'm going to get bruised and beaten along the way. So I'm just done trying to fight like this thing that is way bigger, way more powerful me, more powerful than I am, which is my body, which is nature, which is my appetite, et cetera. Right. Like I'm just done. Like I am done. And, um, uh, and including, by the way, I mean, I say appetite and nature, and I think people think that that only means hunger and fullness, but like, it also just means like instincts, right? Like I would even put emotional eating in that category. Like sometimes emotional eating is not really in your control either. Like sometimes if you're just going to have a cookie when you're sad and like, that's just the end of the story. That's how the, no pun intended, that's how the cookie crumbled. You know, <laughs> you gotta let it go. I, you know, I had this deep moment, but you know, it's interesting. I don't talk about this enough. Like I had a couple, I had a few moments after that final surrender moment where all of a sudden, like I had these moments of like, oh no, 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 no. But just like, just like, just try a little harder to just only when you're hungry. Oh yeah. You know, and like you have these little moments where that delusion of control, the delusion that it's going to work, the delusion that like you, that, that you can do it and you can do it in a way where it won't get out of control. You won't binge, you won't hurt yourself. Nothing bad's going to happen to you, right? Like that delusion that like, not only can you control your food, but it's like unicorns and rainbows are going to pop out of the sky. And like, no, 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 like this time's different. Like this time I'm not like cutting out an entire food group. This time I'm just limiting X, Y, Z, or I'm just trying to control in an X, Y, Z way, right? Like that delusion of control does creep back. And I wasn't immune to that. I would say like for the first like few years of recovery, I was not immune to that. I was still like figuring this all out, but it was so fast for me. Like every time the delusion of control would come back, I would, I would find myself like what I would call like reactively eating, right? Like I would find that like bingey shit coming back. I would find that like anxiety around food coming back. I would, I would feel it. I could feel it. And I was like, Oh, right. I forgot. Surrender. I forgot. You can't control this shit. I forgot. Right. And so, and I would come back and, and my clients, you know, the clients that I work with, that's sort of the process that they're going through is like, you know, many of them, when they hear me tell my story, they'll say, Oh my God, I got it for like 60 seconds when you told the story. And then the next morning it was like, I'm back in the control ring, you know, like I'm back. Like it was like that, that delusion of control grows back. And it's like recovery is like a process of surrendering, not just the one time, but surrendering over and over and over and over again until surrender is now your fluency, until surrender is now like your regular state of being most of the time. And I would actually consider progress in recovery to be being surrendered more often in a period of time than you were the month before, the week before, the year before, whatever, you know? Um, yeah. So what does surrender look and feel like in this case? Is this like, 
So just coming from, because I am so, and I think that probably my listeners, many, you know, we, we, we are so, we're so twisted about this, right? This is Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I have zero neural pathways around uh, healthy thinking or belief systems in this arena. Mm-hmm. Like none, right? I mean, I have a few. Mm-hmm. I have a few slow, you know, tiny strands laid for the amount of work that I've done and the therapy that I've done and the treatment that I've been in for, around this. But I still, like you said, like I'm, I'm just like your clients where I'm like, I have clarity for 60 seconds and then it's fucking gone. Then my brain goes away. Mm-hmm. So like what does surrender look and feel like? So what does control feel like? I mean, like, so let's start with control. This is a foil. We're yeah. talking like opposites for a second. So a second, it's like, uh, contr- like the, when I, when I'm in control mode and I can feel this by the way, not just with food. Like I think that these, if you're really getting down to it, some of these things that we're talking about are real spiritual axioms that apply to lots of different areas of life, not just food, but we're going to use food and body as an example. When I'm in control mode, I am in the delusion that I am running the universe of my body, right? That like, I really am capable of like making, forcing decisions to be a certain way. I'm capable of managing my food to be, to look the way I think that it's supposed to look. Um, The opposite of that or another, you know, the flip side of the coin of that would be being really upset with myself or being really angry with myself if I do something that I don't think was right, as if that's something that I could have done differently in the moment when it's not, it happened. If you could have done it differently, you would have, you know? And so there are these, you know, there it's this, this, this delusion. And I think specifically, let's talk about weight, like the delusion that like, I can make my weight do what I can make it go up or down according to my will permanently. Yeah. Permanently. And that's the thing. It's like, I can, and, 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 you know, and here's the thing. It's, it's like, I can, I actually can, where I can, but not permanently. But not permanently, right. And, and the, that's right. the fucking lie. Right. That is the fucking lie. That is the, the right. lie of every before and after right. picture. Right. That is the lie of every right. program where, right. you know, the testimonials say that they lost 35 pounds. But hi, P.S., I am on television right. as a testimonial for Bowflex talking ah. about how much weight I lost and how much I love my body. And nobody follows up with me a year later, two years later to find out that I am now because of that restriction heavier than I ever was when I started Mm -hmm. because that's the science. Right. (laughs) Right. And so it's like almost like a little game that like God is playing with you or the universe or whatever is playing with you where it's like, okay, you want to control things? Like, okay, like, like I'll give it to you. Like I'll watch you do your little dance for a little while. Right. And then it's like the, it's like, it's like the universe comes knocking on and like makes you have a craving or makes you want something or whatever. It's like, knock, knock, here I am. I'm about to like, you know, take you over. And then you're, if you're really, you know, really committed and really dedicated and you're like, no, I want to hang on a little longer. And they're like, okay, I'll watch you do your dance a little longer. I'll watch you do your diet dance a little longer. And then the universe comes back and they're banging even louder this time. They're like, oh, you thought you could take me right. And it just, it's like, it's this dance between like trying to desperately cling for control. And then the universe basically showing you who's boss. And in the end, the universe always wins. In the end, your body always wins. In the end, nature always wins. And quite frankly, if nature doesn't win, you have bigger problems on your hands because if nature doesn't win, you have probably like restrictive eating disorder. I mean, like that's really where this, that's where this goes in the long term, right? Like if you are successfully weight suppressing for years and years on end, 
you have way bigger problems than binging. Like I am so thankful for my binges now in retrospect. I'm like, oh yeah, you were keeping me alive. Like you were making sure I didn't literally starve myself and like, you know, destroy my bone density and like, you know, suffer from anemia and like all of these things. The word surrender is really interesting, right? Because if Mm -hmm. you think about what surrender means, you imagine it's like, I think of like two dudes in a boxing ring. Right or like war happening. Yeah. And right. It's like white flag, white flag. Like yeah, I, I give I'm up. done. I, I give, give up. up. I give yeah. up. And right, and it's actually really yeah. I give up. And people have a really in our culture, giving up is considered really negative. You know, like when I talk about my work, sometimes people will say things to me like, "Oh, well, you know, I know it's really hard for people to lose a hundred pounds, but like, don't tell them to give up." Like, nah. and I'm like, no, 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 no. Telling, I'm basically telling somebody to give up spending their children's college tuition on lotto tickets. That's what I'm telling them to give up. Like right. that's what I'm suggesting that maybe they might want to consider giving up. Like this is not a, this is not like giving up on uh, like a, a, like a manageable realistic dream that's important to you. That's of your values that, you know, you can just make happening. Like this is giving up on something that you are actively killing yourself for a very, very low probability of success. And like I said, even if you are successful, like you're going to be obsessed with food your whole life. Like now you're in restrictive eating disorder land, potentially. Like it's really, this is problematic. And for what also, is this really in alignment with your values or is this in alignment with like, you know, trying to appease like a really misogynistic, oppressive, fat phobic culture that is like actively designed to make you so obsessed with food and so weak that you can't do shit with your life, you know? So yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to, that's exactly where I was about to go. Thank you for the transition, right? This is the crux of it, right? Right. What Mm -hmm. is it that has women so fucking obsessed with food and, and more, it's more than being obsessed with food. We're not necessarily obsessed with food. We're obsessed with thinness mm-hmm. because we're told that that is the ideal. Right. And food, it, managing our food, obsessing over, over our food is just the path to thinness. Yeah. And like also just side note, because I think it's important to mention this, like one of the symptoms of physiologic, the primary symptom of physiological hunger or weight suppression is food obsession, right? Like it's not just emotional. It's not just like, oh, I'm thinking about food just because I want to lose weight. Although absolutely that's happening. Like it's also a physiological impact of dieting is food obsession and thinking about food. You know, there are people who struggle with restrictive eating disorders who, you know, even in a completely weight neutral, theoretically weight neutral world, and that's not the world we live in, but even in a theoretically weight neutral world could suffer from intense food obsession, right? Not only because, in in large part, right? Not only just because like they want to control their food for like sort of compulsive reasons, but also just because they're fucking hungry. Right. Um, so there's that too. And that's people find that like, you know, food obsession goes down quite a bit after weight restoration is complete. Um, so what is weight restoration? Cause here's, I'll, I'll tell you my, my experience, right? Yeah. 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 Which is, and, and again, like I am so still, still in the middle of this process. My bottom was a year and a half ago. So I'm still very early in the journey. I'm very early in all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened when I surrendered was I stopped dieting and I gained a significant amount of weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first of all, that's really fucking expensive. 
because I have to buy a new wardrobe, an entirely new wardrobe. I know. It's really annoying. Besides the body image and feeling like shit about myself and blah, 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 which has lessened over time, although I definitely am not uh, through that Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but it is, I do not obsess over it the way that I did for a long time. But that was the reality. I stopped dieting. I stopped restricting. My body's physiological response to that was to gain weight, mm-hmm. uh, partly because it had been starving for so long. Yeah. Um, normal and healthy, actually. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is what my therapist has talked to me about and all of that. But yet, mm-hmm. you know, so what is it What is it when it rebalances? Like, what does that look like? Like, am I, is this, is this it? Do I, like, I, you know, which is fine yeah. and not fine, but I also don't know. Is, is there a spectrum here? I'm not done with my balancing, normalizing. Like, what does this look like? Am I going to be this big forever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So number one, the answer to your question of like, what's going on with weight restoration? How did that work? That's different process for everyone. Yeah. However, it is most people's experience that they gain weight when they stop dieting. And it's a completely normal and healthy experience to gain weight when you stop dieting. Um, depending on where you are in your like diet, binge cycling, rebound, yo-yo, like it's possible that you could lose weight, but the vast majority of people's experience is that they're going to gain weight because their body is like finally like, <gasps> it's like gasping for air, right? Basically, I mean, that's sort of what binges are, but weight restoration, you in the process of weight restoration, you're basically experiencing that for a little while. You know, you're kind of recalibrating your body's recovering from what I call post-diet stress. Yeah. Um, and so that's trauma. That's, that's trauma. Right. And also the reality of the situation is that most people, when they stop dieting, are weight suppressed. Like that's the truth is that right. most people, when they stop dieting, are weight suppressed, meaning they're underweight for what their bodies actually want to be. So there's a lot of different things going on here. All what I will say is weight restoration process is different for everyone, but it's absolutely like normal and healthy to gain weight when you stop dieting. Um, yeah. And so I don't want anyone to feel like I think that there are people out there who are like, oh, when you stop dieting, you'll like naturally lose weight. And it's like, no, not that's actually what I thought. Yeah. That's actually what I thought. I, I was so yeah. disordered in my thinking mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, I'll stop dieting and then I will magically lose. Like it right. was yet another path to weight loss. It was insane. Right. My thinking mm-hmm. was everything was a path to weight loss. Right. And that's a lot of people's experiences. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, that I can't even get into related to the intuitive eating, the hunger and fullness diet and like just weird shit, like weird, like people selling all sorts of weird shit, like to get people to take a path where they're whatever. And, and, And it's complex because sometimes I actually think to myself, you know, would you have done how would you have taken certain steps had you known that you were going to gain weight and i don't know if i would have i mean i think eventually i think i would have gotten to my surrender obviously what ended up happening in my surrender moment was that the real peace i got was from getting to the point where i was like if that's fucking what it takes to not be a crazy person that's fine and i think that that's when people really do hit the recovery mark is when they rec- was when they get to that point where they're again the fear of weight gain is it becomes less um, is like less intense than the fear of staying in the crazy town with food. So yes, yes, so, that's but, where I was. I was like, I I don't have a choice. I right, literally don't have a choice. Right, I can't keep right, I can't keep going down right, this path. So whatever right, wherever this path takes right, me, all right, right. 
Okay. So, number one, everyone's rate restoration process is different and like people have all sorts of different experiences, but the majority of people gain weight. That's just the reality of the situation and that's healthy, natural, and normal. That's not a problem. That's actually necessary for recovery. In fact, if you want to remain weight suppressed, the reality of that is that you're going to remain obsessed with food because weight suppressed people, for the reasons I just mentioned, are obsessed with food. Like that's a symptom. That's a physiological symptom of being weight suppressed is being obsessed with food. It's like your body's like, where's the food? We're under, we're, we're, we're depleted of our energy. Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? Thinking about food, thinking about, right? And so there's no recovery without weight restoration. Like weight restoration is actually a critical component of recovery. There is no such thing as recovery without weight restoration. Okay. Number two, I mean, there, by the way, you can, there's a woman named Gwyneth Olwyn who's really, really, really boned up on like the clinical science around this. Hmm. Um, there, there's a, also a study called the Minnesota starvation study, which is pretty much the only real yeah. evidence we have around like how people respond to being restricted around food and what the recovery process is like post starvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the data around that is like, there are some averages, like there are some like sort of like, you know, it we could talk about numbers, right? Like it's pretty common for people to overshoot in quotes, their set point by a little bit after, you know, weight restoring, but it's not, I think what people think it's going to be like, like, I think people think like, Oh, like I'm temporarily this size, but I'm going to feel completely different in a year after I've finished my quote legalization phase or whatever. And like, that's right. not really how it works for most people. Like, yes, like there's a little bit of an overshoot and a settling that we do see commonly in people, but it's not, it's like five to 10% or something in most people. Like it's not as crazy as you might think. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not something that outside of your insane brain, right? you would think would radically change the quality of your life, right? Or is going to radically change the way like people treat you in the world and things like that. Like it's not, it, the, 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 the dip down isn't typically something after restoration, right? After the initial restoration period is not typically so intense that like in a land where you're not obsessed with five pounds, like it's going to matter that much. Right. Um, that's that. What I will also say, and I think this is a more important point is does it serve you? Is it helpful to you? What do you get out of trying to project into the future about what your weight will be? Helpful or harmful? (laughs) Well, so helpful in that, should I go shopping now or should I still fucking wait? Right? Helpful. The answer is shop now because (laughs) you're a human being and you deserve clothing. I know. Okay. And let me, I'm going to also say something about clothes because I actually, this is an important thing. Would yeah. you be so upset and bitching and complaining about the expense of the clothing if you had lost 50 pounds? Fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, do you see how this is a rationalization, yes, right. right? And You're I get so that it's right. I get that it's expensive and annoying, but like, it's not, what's much more problematic is the emotions around it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And the so number, like, the number that I have to pull off the rack now right. is I have so much shame around it. Right. And so this is the real issue. And like, this is part of like what I would call part. So there's the like cutting through the delusion of control. That's like one very important part of body image. And that's something people have to do often over and over and over again, cutting through the delusion of control, the surrender conversation. There's a lot more to be said around that. I mean, it's like an entire module of my program. So we'll just shelve that for now. However, there's also, um, you know, cutting through your own bullshit rationalizations for why, you know, no, 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 I really do need to lose weight or I need to really know the number or I need to, da, 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 right? Because it's like no, needing to know the number is, oh, God. again, it's a form of control. Oh my God. I don't 
I don't want to know that that is the one thing that I'm so diligent. Well, or about. like whatever, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't need to be like, I need to know the number on the scale, but it's like need it, this, this, like, I need to know if I'm going to lose weight or where I'm going to end up. Uh-huh. Like that shit 100%. is all delusion of control shit. Like it's all like, it's all trying to get it under your thumb. It's all yep. trying to like get a handle on it as opposed to fucking letting go and just being like, you know what universe, like body nature, like do what you will with me. Yep. I'm yep. yours. Take me. Now, let, yep. I want to ask you a very important question because here's something that I know for a fact. Part of my disordered thinking and experience mm-hmm. around this mm-hmm. was having been raised by a mother who was very focused on weight loss and body image and women being a certain weight and size in order to be okay. And so then I married a man who was just like that. Mm-hmm. And... So had I been still in my marriage and had gone through this and stopped dieting Mm. uh, and gained this much weight, it would have caused a real fucking problem in my marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And so since my audience is mostly people dealing with either divorce or contemplating divorce or thinking about this, it's... This affects, well, it, it, I was going to say it affects relationships, but, mm-hmm. but, and it, but it can, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about that. This, by the way, <laughs> let's open that Pandora's box. This is, okay, and this is like a really intense conversation. Like I have gone yeah. on record. First of all, I've never spoken about this publicly. I have spoken about this at length with different clients in my programs. And so like all the recordings I have about this are like private in my Stop Fighting Food members area. But I will have, I have said, and I will say it right now, this is one of the most difficult, most challenging potentially parts of recovery is being in a primary relationship with somebody who does not support your recovery. Yep. I cannot think of anything more. Honestly, it breaks. And I'm very serious. Like for the most part, when people are like, oh, this is, I don't want to buy new clothes. I don't want to this. I'm like, okay, this is all rationalizations bullshit. This is so heartbreaking to me, this situation that we're about to get into where you're in a primary relationship, potentially have children with, you know, like all these different things with somebody who does not support you, your mental or physical health or well-being is so, it's so heartbreaking to me. It literally, like it kills me every time, every time it gets brought up. And thankfully it doesn't get brought up too often, like in my coaching calls, but when it does and when it's a real serious issue, and again, I want to make a distinction before I go on between fear that my husband's going to leave me and my husband actually making fat phobic, you know, pro diet comments to me on a regular basis after I have asked him to stop. And after he knows that I am struggling with this issue, two different issues, right? Because my clients have fear that their partner is going to leave them or have fear around their partner judging them. And that's a, that's a different thing. And we can have that conversation another time. But when you're dealing with like an actual, like aggressive fat, phobic dieter who is effectively demanding or insinuating that you are a bad partner because you're gaining weight or because you're actually taking care of yourself and getting into recovery and practicing health every size and intuitive eating. Like that shit is so heartbreaking. And you know what? Like I'll go, I would go so far as to say like, it's hard. Cause like on the one hand, it's abusive. Like it really yeah. is like a form of abuse. And I feel careful and conscientious when I use that word, because I know that in a lot of instances, like most abusers, right? The partner doesn't always know what they're doing. 
they're not always conscious. It comes from their own pain, their own issues, right? And like these, these this is very complex, right? And I think that there are, you know, with a lot of therapy, you know, I think people can, depending on the partnership and depending on the people, you know, this is something that can be healed if the partner is willing to do that work. But if the partner is unwilling to do any work and is basically saying, you know, you're a bad wife and, you know, I'm not attracted to you anymore because you've gained weight and saying all these just incredibly objectifying misogynistic things that are actively harmful to you mentally and physically, like, that's a real question to ask yourself about whether or not you can make it in a relationship with somebody, a primary relationship with somebody who is actively harming you and unsupportive of you taking care of yourself physically and emotionally the way that you need to. And again, I have, you know, it's a very, very challenging, sticky, you know, situation, but oh, it super breaks my heart. Um, again, thankfully, I would say the reality of the situation, while many women have fears about this happening, it is more, thankfully, more of a minority of women who in my coaching practice, who I see experiencing this sort of like more aggressive, fat phobic, like um, kind of attitude from their partners where their partners are effectively demanding that they continue to diet or demanding that they continue to do, you know, harmful things, physically and emotionally harmful things to themselves to maintain a specific kind of physique. Yep. Um, but it is, it is super and heartbreaking. And it's, you know, and, and I just want to say, because I, I, I was also want to be really careful about the idea that it's not always very overt. It's not always demanding, but there are messages that make it really clear. And that was my, that was my uh, experience in my marriage was that there mm-hmm. were a lot of messages that were very, made it very clear mm-hmm. about what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable um, about, you know, there were a lot of like, are you going to the gym today? I just want mm-hmm. you to be healthy. Mm-hmm. There was the time that he asked me why my body didn't look like my best friend's body. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, she's, yeah, 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 you know, she's like straight, no hips, and I'm curvy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I'm not her. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, of course, I like that. That stayed with me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there were a lot mm-hmm. of messages that mm-hmm. I got. Yeah, and they're not. So they're not overt. They're not demands, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. are very clear messages that this is what is expected. Do you think they would have become? And this is an important question when you say, "Well, it was overt versus demands." If you were in recovery and you said to him, "I don't want you to talk to me like that anymore. This is what I'm doing. I'm in a lot of pain. You know, this is really harmful to me." Like I've been struggling with this my whole life and I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Had you had that conversation with him, do you think he would have turned any kind of leaf? Do you think he would have been open to it or not? Because that is where things start to get over it. Like that's yeah. where the rubber really hits the road is when you're actually in recovery. Right? I think women who yeah. are dieting get comments like that from their partner, You know, can get partners comments like that from their partner. And that doesn't necessarily always indicate that like the partnership is doomed or like the person's going to be like completely like opposed to their recovery process or whatever. But uh, you know, what's hard is when you're in a situation, I think what, what, what really starts to get like, oh shit, like I have to really seriously consider the viability of my relationship is Uh when you're in recovery Yes, and you're asking for that kind of support and you're bringing your partner's attention to the issue in like a deep way and they basically say, no, I cannot meet you there. Right. I mean, I honestly think, here's the thing, I think that he would have said yes because he knows that that's what would have, what's expected of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would want to look like the kind of guy who would do that. But I actually don't think he would have. 
Right. And you would have felt that and it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. In a situation where it's like a partner is just completely unable to go there, whether they say that they're willing and just don't, you know, like it sounds like you said, like, I think that that is a common experience of, of my, of my, of my clients who are in this specific unique situation, a common experience is, um, uh, you know, he says that he is willing to do the work, but he's not actually doing the work. And like, Mm -hmm. I can feel it. I can energetically feel it. Right. And that's, Yep. And that, and that is real, like, and that's real. And you're, you're really having to have conversations with yourself about the viability of a relationship in that scenario. And it's just incredibly triggering. Situation. Yep. Um, yep. But it is interesting. One of the things that I was asked is, do you think, and this is, I'm posing this as a question to you. I'm learning as much as you are in this conversation, you know, and I know we talked about this over the phone before we started recording, like, to what extent do you feel like, you know, those kinds of like, why can't you look at your, your friends? Why can't you have the body of your friend? Da, 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 da. Was that indicative of a controlling behavior or a misogynistic behavior that he exhibited that wasn't just about food and weight? A hundred percent. Right. Right. It's like, what I will say is most of when I get really deep into my client in with it, in with my clients who are dealing with this type of very challenging situation, again, not the majority of my clients, but certainly those who are dealing with this, when when I often get into it with them, 80% of the time, they have serious issues in their marriage outside of food and weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I'm divorced. So yes. And go. I got into recovery for this much later. Right. Um, so right. Yes, right. absolutely. And, and, you know, and here's the thing that I'll say also about a relationship, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I was asking this, you know, because the, the other thing is that if you don't have a, if you're one of the things that um, in, in my class this week, uh, we're working on like, what does a healthy relationship actually look like? Right. And mm you know, one of the things that I'm talking about is this collaborate, this collaboration. Like we're both getting into the sandbox together. We're both willing to have this conversation. If it's your recovery, it's my recovery. How do I become a person who supports someone else's recovery? Right. How do I become a person who's in recovery in partnership and open up vulnerably to invite my partner into it. And then how does my part, how does the partner actually become vulnerable enough to go, this is really hard for me, but I want to help you. Like that is what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. So if this becomes- And the absence of controlling behaviors, which is interesting. The second you said, right. how do you have a healthy relationship? It's so funny. Cause of course, you know, doing what I do all day long, I'm like, how do you have a healthy relationship with food? With how do you food. have a healthy relationship with your body? And I'm like, oh, it's the absence of control. And I just had this like aha moment as you were talking where I was like, oh, like controlling behaviors in any relationship are problematic. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I love that you, that you, that for me, the aha is like, oh, that's what I'm trying to do when I'm in my sick thinking. It's the control. Yeah. It's, and it's insidious, right? The thing about it is that it's so insidious and it shows up in all these different ways that are so like, oh my God, really? Now you're going to try that avenue? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. And that happens with my thinking of trying to control my body and my mm-hmm. food. And mm-hmm. I know, and it happens with, with the way that my, you know, my unhealthy relationships with my husband or my mother, yes. right? My mother, God love her. She texted me the other day and she goes, do you want a Veridesk for, for Christmas? And I was like, hell yeah, I want a Veridesk for Christmas. And then I was like, how does my mother know what a Veridesk is? That's insane. <laughs> 
So that night I'm watching MSNBC and there's a, which she watches, there's a commercial for the Veridesk about how it helps cure obesity and mm. it helps with weight loss. Oh, and I Jesus. was like, oh. give me a break. Show me the evidence, Veridesk. Show me your clinical right. data. My mother, but my mother knows about a Veridesk because she saw a commercial for it on MSNBC that, that talked about it promoting weight loss. Mm. And so she offered to buy it for me for Christmas because she's not comfortable with the weight that I have gained. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Okay. And well, in my, yeah. yeah. And in my recovery. So this is what I'm talking about. Like the insidious Not hers thing. to be comfortable with, first of all. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And after I sort of, after a period of time of being in recovery, she called me and she said, so is, can we, so, so is it okay? I know we weren't supposed to talk about weight loss before, but can we talk about it now? Mm. And I was like, <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, we can't, we can't. No. We can yeah. never have that conversation. So you've had a conversation with her where you basically ask her to withhold her co- any kind of like diet-related, weight-related commentary, and she yep. is struggling to uh, like you know basically respect your demand. Yeah. yeah, she really doesn't get it. Mm. Like she really, yeah. really, really doesn't get it, and you know. To the point where afterwards, like she went, she went back to Weight Watchers herself and she's like, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And I'm like, oh my God, you are drinking the Kool-Aid and I love you, but like you do you, but I can't, you know, and she was really, my point about this though, is the insidious ways it comes in. Like, Mm -hmm. can I buy you a Veridesk? Yes, you can, because I want to be able to stand up because I don't love sitting all day, but not because you want me to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lose, lose weight. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with family and friends who you can't divorce are really challenging. And to some extent, you often sometimes do have to kind of do little mini, not divorces maybe, but especially with like, you know, parents, things like that. It's like, yeah. there's a lot of boundaries, you know, boundaries that need to be laid down. And sometimes they need to be stronger rather than weaker. And they're um, so they're really hard. They're very, very challenging. It is one yeah. of the most it is one of the most difficult situations to deal handle in recovery. Um, because you know, talk about control, like you don't have much control over other people. You only have control basically of like how much time you spend with them. I mean, you can make requests, right? Like, you know, I'll often say like start with a request. Like start with like just letting the person know and make them aware without like shaming or wronging them. Mm-hmm. Just be like, hey, I want to make this request. See how they respond to it. If they can't, if they if they're not respectful of your request, the boundaries get they sort of get increasingly more um, uh, firm up until the point where you're like, you have just proven to me that like you cannot respect my boundary that I'm setting. I have to physically remove myself. Yep. From this situation or limit time with you. Yep. And by the way, for everyone listening, that goes for everything, for every boundary that you set. I mean, we've talked about this on my podcast episode with uh, Rian Lockhart about emotional abuse. I mean, the definition of emotional abuse is somebody who systematically and consistently violates your boundaries. Mm. That is one of the, one of the definitions of emotional abuse. Mm, That's Um, a good one. That's a good definition. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And 
so yes, that boundary, that, that exact process, like mm-hmm. I set mm-hmm. the boundary, you're violating the boundary. I reset the boundary, mm-hmm. you restate mm-hmm. it, you violate mm-hmm. it again and you're cut off. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And, you know, and you know, doing work to put, put yourself into situations where you can be independent and take care of yourself as much as possible and have the option to remove yourself from scenarios. Like I've worked with people who are like financially dependent on fat phobes in their life uh, you know, for whatever reason. And some of the work is literally getting to a place where they can no longer financially depend on that person so that they can remove myself, right? Like there's a, there's certainly a process here, but you know, these are all things to take into consideration. Also ask yourself, like, where are you allowing, you know, where are you kind of allowing, um, like through your own choices, like certain behaviors to continue, like kind of like turning blind eyes to certain things or whatever, you know, like, you know, I think it's, it's like, there's just, there's so much internal looking inwards about like where I need to set boundaries. And like, you know, again, it's it's so challenging. And I, I feel my heart breaks. I'm like, you know, kind of like, for lack of a better word, like praying for people to have the courage to take care of themselves in the way they they need to take care of themselves, which is so not always easy. But yeah, like this is, it's, you know, it's like a whole other area. Oftentimes when I, you know, do coaching with people, when we're talking about friends and families, I'll often work like in conjunction with, you know, a therapist who specializes in family dynamics or something along those lines, because it really, it is almost like a whole other topic unto itself beyond your own personal and individual recovery because just your individual personal recovery is really hard without yeah. dealing with other people's like like sort of um reactions like, to yeah it. or exactly. yeah exactly. their own their own personal like they take it personally it's a personal mm-hmm. affront mm-hmm. you know it's like people getting sober like the people mm-hmm. around you who can't handle your sobriety mm-hmm. that's about them like that's in mm-hmm. that's that's so about their discomfort with their possibly with their own uh, alcohol use or mm-hmm. right and it's the same thing with divorce when people have a bad response to your divorce that's about them and mm-hmm. all the people who had a really bad response to my divorce and couldn't show up for me and support me through my divorce and, and were judging me and, and taking me to task and all of the things, they were the ones who got divorced within a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nine times out of 10, this is not about you. It's about them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, well, so, but I'm glad, and I'm glad that I have you in my arsenal also for dealing with fi- family dynamics with couples specifically, because again, you know, love to always collaborate on that since that is, you know, like I deal with it in the context of fat phobia in my work, but I know that fat phobia for the most part is really the tip of the iceberg for a lot of these kinds of family dynamics that are going on. And that's obviously, you know, not my you know, area. So I think that, you know, for any coaches who are out there listening, like if you're dealing with, you know, a client who's, you know, really, really, really struggling with a specific family dynamic that seems to be about fat phobia, but like oftentimes fat phobia within a relationship is reflective of other abuse that's going on or other emotional turmoil that's going on. Right. I mean, I can only imagine absolutely with parents and things like that. And so, you know, it's really important to kind of do both sides of the work, right? Like the individual personal work, which is really my forte, you know, and then um, managing family dynamics around that. And it's a really, really great area for coaches or therapists to collaborate with each other. Absolutely. 100% could not agree more. 
Oh my gosh. Is there anything we haven't covered? Isabel, is there anything? Wow. I feel like we've like, we've like scratched the surface of diet culture. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, well, I could go on for literally hours. Um, I, I know. But, I could. But yeah, no, but I think that this was a really interesting conversation. You know, I never, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm like, I'm like feeling nervous. I'm like, cause I've never really spoken publicly about relationship dynamics and fat phobia. And it is oh, a wow. very sensitive, it's a very sensitive, complex area. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to say like, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. You know, no, I'd be interesting to see the response. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much. Tell, tell people what you're up to right now. Cause I know you're, you're launching your course, uh, right now, but I think that by the time this airs, it will have already launched. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's out. Like it is out, oh, it's it's out. available to the public. Yes. So um, oh, is, is it evergreen? It's evergreen, right? It's evergreen now. Well, yeah, for the foreseeable future, it is evergreen. Um, okay, for people who don't. That out. <laughs> yes, let's, let's, so evergreen, for those of you who don't know, means that you can buy it at any time. Yes, it's you can on opt, the shelf. <laughs> you can opt into, you can work with Isabel at any time. So, to, mm-hmm. so yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, so the master class, so the Soft Eating Food video training series, which I hope you put a link to in the show notes is sort of like, you know, really fun, easy, free, just like introduction to kind of the core of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like recovery from diet and cycling, feeling crazy around food, body image issues, like all that, that whole, you know, kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, appreciate or, or are interested in going deeper on any of the things we talked about in this interview, definitely check out the Stop Fighting Food video training series at stopfightingfood.com. Yes. Um, and, and I can, I can oh, vouch yeah, for, for that it. series. Cause I've, I've gone through it and it's amazing. Yeah. It's a really like, it's just like a really, really good introduction to like my sort of perspective on all of this stuff. Um, and some of the things that I learned along the way and just healing my own relationship with food, you know? Um, and so, and then that also, um, if you want to go even deeper than that, I have my stop eating food masterclass, which is, you know, a pretty intensive online program for really, you know, getting to the root and really uncovering and dealing with your food issues. I mean, like it is a no joke program. Like there are, so there's like, so, you know, the core six modules of information, which are sort of like effectively like my book or whatever on recording, but then there's also hundreds of hours of recorded coaching calls to listen to, to just kind of like deprogram, you know, all of these old beliefs that come up, you know, people take months going through the program and really dedicating themselves to the work. And, um, you know, you can do as little or as much as you need or want, but there really is quite a bit of support that the program really is sort of my baby. Um, you know, and it's, it goes, it's indefinite, right? It's like you buy into this program and then you're in and you can do live alumni coaching calls with me. Um, it's really, it is quite a, um, it's quite a supportive as far as online programs go, as far as evergreen online programs go, it's pretty intensive and pretty, um, immersive. Um, so if you're struggling, that's, you know, and are really like serious about changing your relationship with food permanently and for good, this is, this is something to seriously consider. Um, the master, the stop eating food masterclass, which, you know, you'll see information about right when you go through, after you go through the video series. Um, that is awesome. And then where does that, what is the URL just so people have that? Um, 
So, well, it's everything is stopfightingfood.com. Yep. The first step is to sign up for the video training series. And then once you sign up for the video training series, you go through the series, you get to watch the videos, and then you'll get all the information about the masterclass if you feel like it's right for you after going through the series. Got it. Okay, great. So that'll show up in your inbox, everybody, after you go through the Stop Fighting Food. Exactly. Exactly. Stopfightingfood.com and mm-hmm. stop feeling like a crazy person around food. Yes, yes, yes. That is my mission. That is what I'm bringing to the world. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I yes. love it. Yes. Isabel, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and my peoples. And mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful for you and the work that you do. And for coming and talking to us about all of it. Oh my gosh, Kate, thank you so much. This was so fun and such a like good, juicy, vulnerable interview. And you're such a like love you're such a great person to chat to. And I love that you're kind of going through this because you asked really insightful, awesome questions. So thank you. Yeah, this was awesome. awesome. Yay. Thanks, honey. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.